But I think if you are discontent with yourself, you can't truly be happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you be happy if you you're not if you don't like where you are? After all, yeah. the definition of happiness is actually being at peace and content. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. I am incredibly honored to have today's guest on the podcast. Today's guest is Christina Mond Lakiani, and she is the co founder of Mind Valley, which is an incredible online platform that supports professional growth and personal growth and spiritual growth and transformation. I have taken courses or quests on Mind Valley and found it incredibly helpful. So I'm honored to have Christina on the podcast today. And we have a really interesting conversation about what it really means to be happy, what it looks like to commit to practices that provide you sustained happiness in your life, some of the intersections between happiness and embracing your unconditional self-worth. And Christina really just shares so honestly and authentically about her own life and experience, as well as she shares her wisdom with all of you. So I know that you're going to really love and appreciate and find a lot of value in this episode. So stay tuned. And as always, leave us a rating or a view. Let us know you listened on IG so that we can know what you think and get your feedback. Let's get into the show. I am really excited to introduce you to my guest for this episode of the podcast. Her name is Christina Mond Lakiani, and she is the co-founder of Mind Valley, and has been in the personal transformation industry for over 17 years. She is an incredibly talented international speaker, entrepreneur, artist, philanthropist, and mother of two kids. Christina is also the author of a transformational quest. Seven Days to Happiness, and Live by Your Own Rules. Christina talks about personal transformation, authenticity, understanding and accepting oneself, and a path to happiness. She was recognized as one of the top 10 influential people online making a difference in the world today and was awarded the Influencers for Change by the Global Impact Creators. I am so excited to have Christina here with me today. I'm an incredibly big fan of Mind Valley. It's an amazing platform. If you have not heard of it, you may have heard of it because it reaches millions of people around the world, but it's an incredible platform that's all about sort of personal and professional growth in so many different areas. I know that I've taken some of their quests and found them incredibly helpful. So Christina, I am so excited and honored to have you here on the podcast with me today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I have to say that I'm actually excited because I, I did see, you know, you, you said I'm a recognized speaker and, and 
I actually know you from your speech on TED and I was so blown away. Uh, it doesn't happen very often that I tell my team, oh, I want to interview that person. Usually the team, you know, they have the, the process, the cadence and everything. But here I was like butting in. So I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Christina. I really appreciate that affirmation. Well, so I would love to start our conversation off where I start all of my guest interviews. And it's that, and that's by asking you to share a little bit about your own self-worth journey. Oh my God. You know, I, so I'm 43 right now. So obviously my self-worth journey is not a linear thing. So it's not like I was in point A and now I'm in point B. And it's, it's funny how life just unfolds and uh, we seem to relearn certain lessons and certain mm. things come back and certain questions come back. So I guess, um, it would be a very long story. I don't want to probably go <laughs> so deep into that. But uh, one of the last twists in the in the path was uh, when I turned about 40. And I started wondering uh, if what I have is exactly what I want to have. Mm. And probably to give a context, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I was a good student in school. I was born in a very... Mm obedient kind of country, you know, Soviet Union. So I, I, I built my life by the book and by the age of, age of 40, I had everything figured it out, figured out, obviously. Mm. So I was married, I had business, I had two children. I still have two children, thank God. <laughs> and I still have business. Uh, and I lived this perfectly Instagrammable life. And it's interesting how you go for your goals. You think you know what you want uh, and it is your goals. It's not like somebody forced me into doing what I was doing. And then at some point you start wondering, is, is it really it? So mm. my... Um, my turn uh, or my twist in the journey happened when I was uh, questioning, why is it that if I'm happy, I mean, if everything is perfect, why is it that I'm not perfectly happy? And then uh, I redid a lot of things. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to give up fairly good things because there is mm. so much more important in store for you. So yes, I took a sledgehammer and I, mm. <laughs> I smashed my, my perfectly Instagrammable life into pieces at the age of mm. 40. And now I'm still discovering myself and my self-worth. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, it's, it's true for so many of us. And I certainly have been there too, where you're sort of pursuing these goals and these sort of dreams that you set out for yourself, maybe in part because you really thought you wanted them in part because society says you should want them. And it can feel like these are the things that are going to make us worthy. And then we often get to a turning point where we say, well, is it really making me happy? Is this really what mm -hmm. I want? And I think, you know, the fact that you were willing to sort of dismantle some of the good things to get to some greater things or to some more meaningful things takes a lot of courage, right? It takes a lot of courage to say, yeah, I'm going to give up the things that look good on the outside. And everybody thinks I have it all together and everybody thinks it looks perfect because I know deep down, this isn't all there is for me. There's something deeper for me. There's something more for me. And I want to search for that. And I think that's really powerful. And it also speaks to a sense of groundedness in your worthiness, right? Because mm -hmm. you're willing to let go of these external things to find what really is, is going to fulfill you and make you happy. And I think that when we know we're worthy, we're willing to do that. You know, I would uh, love to actually <laughs> own that that beautiful background, but the truth is that in my case was probably not as conscious as that. Mm. Uh, it's you know sometimes my life reminds me some points in my life remind me of uh, skydive. Mm. So you kind of go there consciously and and 
you get dressed and you have this uh, outfit and the, and the parachute and everything. And then when you're in front of the open door and there's nothingness under your feet, then mm. sometimes what helps is that there is a guy behind you who just kicks you <laughs> and then you have no choice. Pushing you. So in my case, I really wish it was a conscious choice, but I think, I think mm. now looking back at that, I just, I just found myself in the situation where I had to learn to fly. There was mm. no, there was no choice, and and sometimes mm. you make sense of your life as you go along. Yeah, that's, that that's I don't know. I just have this hunch that that wasn't as as chosen as I as I would have loved it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love your honesty about that. I wonder how you showed up for yourself, like what it looked like to take care of yourself and show up for yourself, especially in those moments, maybe before you pulled the parachute. When you forgot you had one, uh, you know what I mean? Like in those moments where it was like a free fall and mm. it was really scary and you weren't quite sure how things were going to turn up. I, I turn out, I wonder how you showed up for yourself in the midst of all of that. Well, um, I guess the truth is that I'm still flying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've landed and I don't think I will land until, uh, <laughs> until it's the, the, the last day of my life. I, I, I hope so <laughs> because, uh, the flight is, is the journey, but okay, like those matter, metaphors aside, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when you were talking about the goals that sometimes we we pursue goals and they may be actually imposed on us by the society i have a suspicion that very often society has nothing to do with that actually it is mm. usually it, it is very often our own endeavor that makes us choose the, th- uh, the, the the thing that will not make us happy and i'll try to give an explanation to why i say that in our contemporary society at least well, society in which I was brought up, uh, we are taught to be logical and reasonable and rational and like, you know, be sensible. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that recently uh, there was this uh, whole idea that you shouldn't follow your heart, hmm. do the things that will make you successful. And um, somebody just had the guts to say that. Uh, and the thing is that that is what we often do uh, when we have a choice between following your heart, listening to what is your natural inclination versus what the society expects from you or what the society considers to be a success. We very Mm -hmm. often, while we might want to follow the heart, but we tell ourselves there's this rational (laughs) part of of, of you that says, no, 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 don't follow your heart. This is a gamble. Do the Mm. sure thing. Success is a sure thing. Financial success is a sure thing. So a very simple practical example would be, uh, you know, I went to study on a popular faculty in, in Estonia. Uh, it was public administration. So essentially I was learning to be a politician, a government official. So mm. something which obviously would make give, give me a chance to have a good career. And then in the middle of my studies, I really felt that I love astrophysics. Hmm. I, I, I felt so passionate. I came home and I said, you know what, guys, I think I'm going to just switch to astrophysics. This is where my heart is. And my mom said, are you like, are you crazy? Finish at least this first degree, you know, get some profession and then do whatever you like. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly this point in, and that's a very simple, practical example. We'll get that, uh, you know, every single person has that dilemma at some point or, in their life. Should I do what society considers is a success or should I do something which my heart uh, is inclined mm-hmm. to? And uh, the thing is that, you know, society's definition of success is very linear. Mm-hmm. And we think that following the heart is a gamble. 
Mm-hmm. Yet there is no guarantee. And if you ask yourself, you will absolutely 100% will say that no, success is not going to make you happy. Money is mm. not going to make you happy. I'm not discover, I'm not saying anything outrageous. Everybody knows success doesn't make you happy. If it did, we wouldn't have yellow press. We wouldn't have gossip. We wouldn't have mm. celebrities at the height of their careers killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Yet we think that following the heart is a gamble and following success, society's definition of success is, uh, is a sure thing. Well, mm. if you add to that also, I think in social, uh, social, um, social roles theory and psychology, there's this idea that people are inclined to, to lean towards the roles which are socially considered successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're a mom entrepreneur, you're much more likely going to present yourself as an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur is a socially more valuable role than a mom. Mm. Right. So that's mm-hmm. another aspect why we choose the more sure path of success. So this whole rant was why, why did I try to give that background is because I think it was my own doing. I, mm. I made my choices. Nobody forced me. Mm-hmm. But I, of course, I listened to people's advice. And of course, I listened to their opinions. But I chose to go for the success. That's mm-hmm. that, that was the truth of it. And I, I think I didn't even answer your question. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. No, I mean, I think now I don't, I don't totally remember where we started, but I, you know, I think you're, you're highlighting some really important points, which is sort of, there is sort of a balance between how we're influenced by society in the agency and personal choice that we have, because even though we may be influenced by what our parents say or what our communities say we should do, at the end of the day, we do get to make our own choices about what we do or don't want to do in our lives. And, you know, we often feel like the gamble is following our hearts. It feels more risky. You know, you highlighted the things that sort of people know or are learning, right? Even if people aren't totally there yet, don't really bring happiness. And I know that you have a focus and you help people get to happiness. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you define happiness and what you Mm -hmm. really think helps people to be happy in their lives. So I'll, I'll definitely answer this time the question. But at first, you know, I remember the last question was, how did I show up for myself mm-hmm. um, in the flight? And that's why I think I went into this trend is I think my way, my way of showing up is just being honest with myself mm-hmm. and not lie to myself because this is, this is important. But then it only comes with a second ingredient, which is incredibly important as well, kindness. Mm-hmm. Honesty without kindness is mean. Yep. So I, I was, uh, I went into that uh, explanation about success and happiness because I just had to be honest with myself and then kind with myself. That that's how you un- undo the, the, the puzzle of being in the midlife crisis. But uh, back to happiness. It's, it's interesting. I could actually go on for another, another half an hour just ranting about happiness. I generally don't tell people what I think happiness is. Because mm. I believe happiness is a very uh, personal uh, phenomenon. Uh, happiness is definitely when you are at peace with yourself. It's definitely when you are at peace with, with what you have in your life. And that is something that only, well, only you know. I don't mm-hmm. know what makes you happy. I don't know what mm-hmm. makes uh, someone else happy. <laughs> Most of us don't even know what makes us happy. Uh, so I usually don't tell people what happiness is. I do like to mention what happiness isn't. Mm. Uh, and thing number one, what happens, happiness isn't, isn't, it's not perfection. Mm. 
And mm. that's the thing that, uh, that, that's a trap that a lot of us fall into. It's not perfection. In the words of one of our authors, Riku Marao, he says, you know, you are not happy because everything is perfect. Everything is perfect because you're happy. Mm. And that is an important concept because if you're waiting for per- perfection to be happy, as long, like when I solve this one big problem, that's when I'll be happy finally. Mm-hmm. When I finally achieve that goal, when I finally prove something, then I will be happy. So it's, it's a huge topic on its own. So happiness is not perfection. The second th- thing, what happiness isn't, and that's, that's something which we as a society haven't agreed upon. So it is only my definition. When I teach, mm. When I talk about happiness, I say that happiness isn't an emotion Mm. because emotions by nature are transient. They don't stick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that happiness is very often mentioned in the list of emotions. But when I teach happiness, I do say that please don't take it as an emotion because if you do, then obviously you're not going to achieve it because it's going to change as you Mm -hmm. experiencing it or, or expressing it. So I like to talk about happiness as a more stable thing, which would be state. And the closest, um, Closest would be, it's, it's not strictly speaking about happiness, but there's a theory of hedonic adaptation, which I really resonate with, which says mm. that there is a certain set point of happiness towards which we tend to come back, whether mm-hmm. something super great happens to us and we come down to that set point or something really bad. So this uh, theory resonates with me. And when you talk about happiness, something more stable, like a resourceful state, for example, then it becomes much more attainable. And it is important if, mm-hmm. if you want to actually train happiness, you have to make it into something a little bit more stable than just an emotion. And mm-hmm. the third thing that I mentioned that happiness isn't, it's not secondary. And this is mm-hmm. the biggest problem because I, I've been studying happiness for, for, for many years now. And of course, I, I listen to talks, I read research books, everything. So I know what people talk about happiness and scientists and, and authors and uh, philosophers. And the general discourse nowadays is that happiness is not important. Hmm. Don't pursue happiness. You won't achieve hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning is more important than happiness. You know, mm-hmm. all these messages that we are bombarded with. Happiness is not important. Happiness is not important. Don't chase it. Uh, well, to don't chase it. My answer is if you don't define it as an emotion, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not so elusive, right? Yeah. But to everything else, uh, I want to ask, what do you normally wish to the person or what would you wish for the person that you love the most? For me, it's my children. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it would be children or partner or parents or even a dog, no matter. <laughs> we usually wish them happiness. Mm-hmm. It's a huge philosophical question, whether it depends on us or not, but we wish them happiness. Yeah. Yeah. We wish happiness to each other. Happy birthday, happy anniversary. Mm-hmm. We wish happiness. And if you ask deep inside almost every goal that you set, if you go deep enough, you do that because that gives you some certain feeling, which mm-hmm. might be called the feeling of happiness. So we want happiness on one side. But yeah. on the other side, we think it is unimportant. Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask, say, 10 of your friends uh, to show you their goals for the year, I bet not one of them would happen- have happiness there. Mm-hmm. Not one of them. So having been in personal growth for 18 years, one thing I know that if you want anything, you have to work on it. Mm. And we don't question that. You want health, work on it. You want to have a beautiful fit body, work on it. Good relationship, work on it. Business, work on it. You want to be happy, don't do anything. Mm. (laughs) That just doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So my, uh, again, I could talk a lot, uh, really long and deep about that. But what I want to say is that happiness isn't perfection. It is not emotion. 
I mean, some people do define it as emotion, but I prefer not to. And yeah. it is not secondary. It's not a price at the end of the road. Yeah. It's, it's something important. And if it is important, you might as well prioritize and try to figure it out. Yeah. Well, I love so much of what you said, right? I think you're right. I think the the trap that people get into is thinking of happiness as an emotion that should be stable, right? And as something that they're reacting to circumstances that potentially they create or somebody else creates, and that's going to make them happy, right? Mm -hmm. There's sort of a passivity with which people sort of expect happiness or, or anticipate that happiness will come to them. And I think what you're saying is, no, let's get it out of the emotion framework. Let's mm. get it into this is a, a trait that you can cultivate and that there's, I'm imagine you would say practices or things that you can do that get you to happiness or cultivate a set point of happiness that's higher. And that it's something that shouldn't be pursued in sort of the traditional way of like chasing other things to get to happiness second, as you're saying, it shouldn't be secondary, but that there's okay to cultivate happiness in my life. I'm doing these things on the regular, on a regular basis. And that's a very different energy to sort of practice that versus to chase something down that feels elusive. I would say, you know, I would even say that I I can't even a, draw a picture of happiness for a person because different people have such a different experience in life and they different people enjoy different things. So in addition to it's not being perfection, it's also not, not some kind of uh, just a paradise on earth, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you be happy not despite everything that happens in your life, but through it and with it? Mm-hmm. That's the question for me uh, because it's, you know, life is never going to be perfect. So uh, very often, this this was just m- more more of a, prequel to when I talk about happiness. Yes, I give uh, some practices which I think are good. But generally what I try to to convey is that if you want to to figure out happiness, you have to take life as it is in all its expressions, mm-hmm. in all its expressions, including mm-hmm. the painful ones. <laughs> yeah. And that becomes a very huge discussion. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is right. The amount of resistance Mm. that people put up against difficult emotions, difficult experiences, um, you know, I believe and I didn't come up with this, right? So many different (laughs) spiritual traditions say this, right? That's, that's what creates the suffering, right? Is the, you know, The the, the resistance to it. And I think from my framework where I talk a lot about self-worth, I think often when challenging things happen, people say, oh, this means I'm unworthy or this means Mm. I'm a bad person or this means, right? So they just cover over the already painful situation with a layer of I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. Mm. I deserve this. I'm being punished, right? And all of those things that just make the pain worse, and, and keep you from being able to sort of ride the wave of it, work with it, accept it, learn from it, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, this uh, thing that is your, um, your message, the worthiness and, and the self-love is a very important uh, aspect of happiness. So it used to be one of the, uh, well, I, I can't call it practice per se, but one mm-hmm. of the avenues to pursue to, to a happier life is to, is to cultivate the the self-worth and self-love. I think it is it is incredibly important because I maybe it's my personal experience. I haven't looked into research yet. <laughs> but I think if you are discontent with yourself, you can't truly be happy. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you be happy if you you're not if you don't like where you are? After all, yeah. the definition of happiness is actually being at peace and content with well, if there is a definition with what you have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. including the imperfection of you. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing because I'm in the happy industry. <laughs> I've been in personal growth for <laughs> for eighteen years, mm-hmm. and the amount of discontent with what people have mm-hmm. in terms of themselves is just it's just painful to see sometimes yeah. as if the whole industry of personal growth and transformation is fueled by self-loathing and, mm. <laughs> mm. and almost self-hate. I want to be yeah. something else. Yeah. It's such an interesting tension, right? Is, yeah. you know, how do you help people to be grounded in who they are and accept the core of themselves while also supporting them in personal growth and development, right? And not feeling like I have to change myself. I have to be someone different in order to be worthy, in order to be okay. And I do think there's, there are some, you know, personal growth people and out there who say you need to change, right? Who you are isn't okay. And that can feel attractive for people in particular who don't feel good enough. But it's like, I, and I find that tension. It's like, how do I communicate when I'm sort of sharing about my courses mm-hmm. and other things? It's my message isn't you have to take this program or course in order to be worthy. Mm-hmm. It's you're already worthy. This course or program is just going to help you believe that. It's going to take away the barriers to you believing mm-hmm. that truth about yourself. You know, I find it really interesting uh, that people that people think that these are contradictory things. Mm-hmm. I, over years, with time, I've learned to be at peace with uh, people's quirks, with this world. Uh, well, my, my kids have quirks. So being at peace with something and accepting something is not contradictory to wanting to change it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that journey is like GPS. You know, you might know that you want to go to Paris, but your GPS will not work until you define where you're right now. Mm. And that's defining where I am right now in personal growth for me is that moment when I say that I am good, I'm good, I'm fine with what I am, I accept myself, I can love myself like this. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to change. But my change is not a trade-off. Right. That's the thing. If, if those who have children, they might know this theory that we sometimes, you know, we sometimes bargain with our love towards mm. children. Oh, you behaved well. I love you so much. Mm. Versus you, naughty you. When you clean up the room, then you'll be a good boy or a good mm-hmm. girl. And that's any psychologist, child psychologist will tell you that this kind of bargain for love is really uh, harmful for a child. Yet yeah. we do that with ourselves. Yes, yes. I love myself. If I actually work my ass off, yeah. you know, then I love myself. That's the condition. And that's, that's such a slippery slope because we, we get into that uh, race of, uh, you know, buying our own love from ourselves for the, for, for the sacrifices they're willing to, to give. But the thing is that mm-hmm. just because you have to change doesn't mean that you are not okay. You right. are okay. I don't like fixing people. I don't, I don't think anybody's broken. Yes. But I do think that a lot of, has, a lot of us have huge potential for more. Yep. But can you love yourself before that? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, you know, talk about sort of conditional self-worth. What conditions do you place on your worthiness? I have to do this. I have to achieve that. I have to look like this before 
I'm, you know, feel worthy before I treat myself well. And I totally agree with you. It's sort of this question of how do you start showing up for yourself now? How do you say, even in my darkest hour, even when I made a horrible mistake or I'm experiencing failure, I'm still worthy of love and care. And so I'm going to show up for myself and offer that to myself in these moments. And that doesn't mean that I can't grow and progress and evolve. Um, It just means that it doesn't, I don't have to wait until that transformation happens to love myself now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I we have one more teacher who's he's, who's awesome, and I, I'm sure you know her actually, Marissa Peer. She mm-hmm. said it really perfectly. She's she's the the queen of I'm enough. <laughs> so she we were recording a program with her uh, for Mind Valley, and uh, somewhere in the uh, break in the shoot, one of the videographers asked her, Marissa, but if I tell myself that I'm enough, am I not going to be complacently lying on my sofa and telling myself I'm enough and doing nothing? And Marissa said, and I think it's super deep. She said, you know, you are lying on the sofa and doing nothing, not because you think you're enough. It is because you think you're not enough. When you know that you're enough, you have the courage to go out and challenge yourself. It's the fear that you are not enough, that you're not worthy, that keeps you telling yourself this whatever story and being complacent with what you have. And I think it's super important. And another thing which I really wanted to say, you know, we in our contemporary society, we sometimes... Mm, try to compensate for the understanding of self-love with self-care. And here again, I'll bring the uh, analogy with children because in my opinion, the easiest way to understand unconditional selfless love is when you have a child and you learn to love your own child or whoever, but that, that is the easiest, the most mm-hmm. natural way to experience self-love. Oh, sorry, not self-love, selfless, unconditional love. That's why mm-hmm. I like to compare a love for a child, for a love for yourself. Because if you could love yourself like you love your child, then then I would say that you love yourself. So why am I saying that we sometimes compensating? Imagine what what does the baby need when the baby is born? Obviously, the baby needs to be fed, dressed, mm-hmm. uh, walked, uh, I don't know, diapers changed, the maintenance, the care. But every child psychologist will tell you that you cannot grow a confident uh, child confident, happy Mm -hmm. child, unless the child gets the love Mm -hmm. of a parent, the connection, the presence. And actually the well-fed, well-dressed, clean child is not as important for child's development as the Mm -hmm. love and connection. That's why you would have examples of uh, children, uh, for example, born into privileged homes where parents are busy, where they have nannies and everything they might want, but they don't maybe have the presence of their parents. Mm-hmm. And then you get a broken child. I just like more vivid analogies because then it's easy to understand. Yeah. So the thing with self-care is exactly the same. Sometimes because we don't have time for self-love, we compensate for the lack of self-love with self-care. Self-care mm. is the time you spend with yourself. It's the services you give to yourself, be it massage, facial, shopping, even meditation, exercise, good nutrition. Mm-hmm. It's all self-care. But you don't charge your phone because you love the machine, you charge Mm. your phone because if you don't charge it, it will die. Mm. Self-love is a relationship. Mm. It's being present. It's being okay with any expression. How, how do I know that I love my children? My kid, one, my grown up, uh, sorry, my bigger kid, he has Asperger's. Mm. I will never say I love him, but I would love him more if he didn't have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yet we do that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So that's, that's the difference. You know, you love your child despite everything, even when the child wakes you up in the middle of the night and poops all the time, mm-hmm. you still love your child. Mm-hmm. That's the love. Maintaining yeah. self-care is something completely different. And that's a slippery slope too, because you can go into self-care so deep just because it's so hard to figure out the relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like the parents who are too busy, they're too busy, they've been traveling, so they come home and they give a child another gift and the child doesn't care about another gift. Mm -hmm. What the child wants is that the parent hugs them and tells them, I'm here, I'm here to listen to Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, when you're saying the contrast, it was making me think about what I learned in my schooling around psychology, but it, you know, there's this Harlow's monkeys experiment. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but basically there's two conditions and basically they have these little baby monkeys. And in one condition, basically, or maybe it's not two conditions, but it's like, there's a wire monkey, like mom monkey that has a bottle with milk. And then there's a cloth mom monkey that doesn't have food. And so basically the experiment is which monkey does the baby monkey gravitate towards? And what they found is the baby monkey will eat from the wire monkey and go and snuggle with the cloth monkey. Oh, wow. Spend more time with the cloth monkey, right? Because it's giving it comfort. It's giving, you know what I mean? It feels softer. It feels cuddly. So the idea is it's not just about the food, right? It's not just about you know, that the baby monkey is attached to the mom who would give it food, but no love and no comfort. It wants to be with the comfort and love mom, but it'll get the food and then go back to the other mom. So it's sort of, it's, it's the same thing that you're just highlighting, right? That it's, it's more, we need the maintenance. We need, I think, to take care of ourselves. And I think often for people who are really struggling with their relationship with themselves, self-care can be a good start, right? Like, can you just start by treating your body well? Can you just start by taking care of your needs and tuning into those? And I agree with you that true self-love and a true connection to self-worth is deeper than that. It is about how do you see yourself? How do you treat yourself? How are you showing up for and with yourself? How are you loving yourself on a deeper level? What is that relationship like? Because Mm -hmm. that really is at its core, right? You could be doing all of the self-care things, but, you know, internally beating yourself up, right. Have all of this self-criticism and feel awful all the time and sort of wonder, well, I'm just, I'm doing the self-care what's wrong, you know, or you could be sort of doing self-care and, you know, taking care of the basics, but not totally indulging in a massage every, all the time and all that stuff, but treating yourself with love and attunement and care and feel much better about yourself and be much happier, can we say, right? And feel just better about life. You know, I I, I actually um, like this distinction for another reason, because people who who replace self-love with self-care, because this is easy to understand and it's ritualistic in a way, right? So you do your yoga or whatever exercise, Mm -hmm. or you you, you eat your smoothie in the morning, whatever it is that you think these are the musts for you to feel that you're taking care of yourself. But imagine if you skipped a day of yoga or you ate that cake, assuming you don't want to eat cake. My, I, my assumption is, and I actually heard it from a midwife in Estonia in a different context. My assumption is that the beating up that you do to yourself is much worse to you than mm-hmm. the one day of skipping your exercise or eating unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. It is important to understand. It It is... Well, maintenance is better than non-maintenance for sure. Mm -hmm. And it is a good thing to start. 
But it is so important to understand that self-love is about being okay with you, even if you are not perfect. Yeah. And I think, you know, at the core, we all want other people to do that for us, right? We all, I think most people will say, I want to be loved unconditionally. I want to be accepted unconditionally. I, I want people to understand when I'm having a hard day or when I'm struggling. And yet with ourselves, we are, you know, very harsh and critical and judgmental and, you know, I sort of say we're so quick to, to abandon ourselves. And I so agree with you that it's about how do you show up for yourself? Right. How do you, you know, you were saying earlier in, in terms of how you're showing up for yourself right now is (laughs) honesty. And I think honesty is so important, especially, you know, radical honesty about how did I get here? Right. Because it can be easy to place the blame on everyone else and, you know, be in this victim mentality, but sort of honesty. And then I love that you also said with kindness, the kindness is so, so, so important because it's not about berating yourself, beating yourself up, telling yourself, I told you so it's okay. Okay. Woo. We got ourselves into a situation and this is hard and I'm, I'm here. Like I'm not leaving you. I am not Mm -hmm. leaving you. I'm, I'm, it's okay. Right. And, and it's just doing that for yourself, which is so powerful. Yeah. I think people are afraid of such thing as too much self-love. That's Mm. what I hear all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. is it going to be selfish? Is it going to mean that I will not grow? But again, look at the children, the child who like, who's just starting to discover the world. They look back, mom, did you see, did you Mm -hmm. see me do that? Did you see me fall? Can you be that loving person to yourself? Yeah. will be there no matter what because that gives you courage and you need courage to 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 grow and evolve and it's it's interesting i've heard people tell me that a healthy amount of self criticism and and um you know even even self hate is healthy but you know <laughs> i i was born in soviet union we were told not to mm. ever praise ourselves mm. it was it was a shameful thing you couldn't you you couldn't toot your own horn which, mm. uh, I mean, probably you shouldn't do to your own home, but that's not about that. That's, that's about, you know, if you can't love yourself uh, unconditionally, why do you expect anyone else to do that? We train yeah. the world to treat us the way we treat ourselves. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think people confuse self-love with self-indulgence. Yes. And I also think people think, if I love myself, that means I'm just letting myself off the hook and I'm looking the other way. I'm never taking responsibility for my actions. I'm never taking responsibility for my life. I'm just like, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Right. But real self-love, right. And, and you do this with children. You do this with deep, serious partnership is honesty and kindness and compassion, right? It isn't not taking responsibility and not holding anyone accountable, but it's doing it in a loving, kind, gracious way, right? And people tend to think that those things don't go together, that if you are loving, you cannot hold somebody accountable or you can't say be responsible. It's either you blame and you shame or you let someone off the hook or you let yourself Mm -hmm. off the hook. And so part of what I think we're both talking about is marrying these things, right? Marrying accountability and responsibility with self-compassion and kindness Mm -hmm. and, you know, honesty and love, right? That all of these things can go together. And that really is the best combination. 
I believe that, you know, selfishness, indulgence, complacency, these are not excess of self-love. These are um, distortions of love or the mm. absence of self-love. If you take selfishness, for example, selfishness is when you need love from outside because you don't have enough from, for yourself, right? Mm. So you suck it out from outside. It's not the extreme of self-love. It's the absence of love. Mm. That's why you start behaving in a way where you expect people to give you what you can't give yourself. Hmm. Well, indulgence, maybe it's, it's a different mechanic, but uh, really, I, just give yourself a chance. Try it. Experiment with it. I, I have a secret thing. I like to play games, <laughs> computer games. <laughs> so if you've ever played a, uh, you know, a civilization type of game where you build a city or a civilization or a country, you know that if it's too perfect and you build it too long and it's like it becomes boring and then you come mm. up with some kind of tornado or invasion mm. to make it interesting. No, you're not going to do nothing. It's not <laughs> in our nature. It's literally not in our nature. Right. And of course... Maybe if if you've been complacent at home for a long time, you do need a kick in the butt. But most of us, my experience is, and I haven't, again, I haven't checked the research, but my experience is that most of us need more self-love. Yes. Self-love, not kick in the butt, self-love. It's because we don't believe in ourselves. That's why we lay back and tell ourselves stories about how everything is fine as it is. Yep. I agree. I agree. I think... I agree with you. I agree with what your quote of Marissa Peer, that it is usually the self-criticism that keeps us stuck on the couch, not the feeling bold, feeling worthy, feeling loved, right? And I like to do these visioning exercises where I ask people to envision what their life would be like uh, if they felt unconditionally worthy. And when people do that, they're often talking about, I would be bold. I would be courageous. I would pursue this dream. I would go after that thing, right? They're not saying, oh, I wouldn't do anything for the rest of my life, right? Because that's not what you truly desire. It may be what you desire when you're exhausted, when you're overworked, yeah. when you feel beaten down by criticism, when you feel burned out. And so maybe you would need to rest for a little bit, but after a while, you'd have something exciting that you'd want to pursue when your life isn't focused on proving that you're worthy or chasing this elusive happiness, as we talked about, right? But when you're grounded in it, then you get the ideas, then you're more creative, then you're more generative and you're filled with life and you want to kind of go out and share that in the world. That's so true. I think we just underestimate our <laughs> ourselves when we say that, oh, I might like myself, my, I might love myself too much. Just just as an example, you know, maybe I'm just a competitive person. I started doing kickboxing and I'm telling if I wish I was in 43, I'm quite sure I would go for, <laughs> for competitions because we oh, like fun. the challenge. We mm -hmm. like to show people what we can. The child does that to mom. Look what I've done. When mm -hmm. I played when I started playing harp and my teacher said, now we're going to have a concert. I was like, oh, what did I get myself to? But my soul wanted to show. Mm -hmm. Your soul wants to shine. Yeah. So you telling that, oh, if I love myself too much, I will not do anything. That's, you, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, right. I agree. <laughs> and what I tell people is do an experiment. Yes. Test it out. Be loving, be kind, be compassionate with yourself for a week and see what happens. You can always go back to the yeah. self-loathing and the <laughs> self-criticism later if it doesn't work, but just at least try and see what happens. Just be a curious scientist with yourself about that. So, you know, we're, 
winding down our time together, and this has been such a great conversation, you know, what I'm wondering if you would be willing to sort of leave the listeners with one practice. If you have like a favorite practice, you know, where you're talking about getting to happiness or cultivating happiness. I know you also talk about cultivating authenticity and self-acceptance. If you could leave the listeners with one practice that you maybe would say, you know, start here um, or try this out, what would that be? Well, you know, I would actually uh, suggest, and that's a little bit, um, that's, it it just comes to my mind. I'll I'll trust my intuition, but I would suggest learn a little bit of emotional literacy because Mm. that journey is going to have so many different things that we don't know even how to name and how to call and how to deal with them. You will feel things that you don't, didn't know you like self-acceptance means that you might tell yourself like, Despite being a loving and uh, peaceful person, I hate this idiot. <laughs> Can you deal with that? We, you know, we deny ourselves our uh, like expressing ourselves fully. Yep. The good and the bad, the beautiful and the not so beautiful. That's why I think that the the best the best place to start is to to get a little bit of emotional literacy because you will need that. This is the ABC of uh, of uh, any personal growth and transformation. Just understanding what it means. We live like in a brown soup. We don't even realize we are having emotions. We don't mm-hmm. understand anything about about emotions. We don't know there are like three hundred names for emotions just in English. The degrees, the you know the the intensity, the the different colors, that they're all natural, that they're all part of our life, that there's nothing shameful in feeling shame Mm -hmm. or feeling or being angry or, you know, being wrong, (laughs) unjust. And on that path of self-discovery, I've discovered so many things about myself which I didn't know were there. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's something which will help you along the path. I, I, I know it's not the answer I actually expected. It just came to me and mm. I'm like, I have to say that answer. <laughs> Figure yeah. out emotions and how to work with them. I mean, I totally agree. I think it's something that I talk to my clients about all the time is how can you accept and sit with your feelings instead of resisting them, instead of fighting them, right? How do you draw wisdom from your emotional experience? So you can understand yourself. You can understand what's important to you. Right. And, and I think that's such a powerful suggestion that we just, so we don't hear so often is sort of explore, understand emotions, and then turn inward and tune in to what feelings you're having. So you can, learn yourself and can you accept them, right? Can you accept your emotions and accept yourself? And I think that it goes along with what we've been talking about, right? Not resisting life, not resisting what you're feeling, accepting yourself, not judging yourself. And so I think that's such a great uh, suggestion for our listeners, This has been so incredible to talk with you. And I so appreciate all the wisdom and insights that you've shared. And I know that the listeners are going to want to connect with you further. So can you tell them the best places to connect with you? Well, definitely Mindvalley. As a co-founder of Mindvalley, I'm there. One of the authors. Uh, We have loads of amazing authors. So I'm one of them. And my Instagram is the place where I express myself directly. I don't have a writer. It's me writing, me talking. So my Instagram account is is the place where, where you can talk to me directly. Yes. Okay. And it's at, what's your Instagram handle? Oh God, that's such a complicated thing. So my name is Christina, but it's an Estonian way of writing it. So it's Christina with a K and my family name, M-A-N-D. Christina okay. Mann. 
Yeah. Okay. And we'll link everything in the show notes. So we'll thank make so sure much. that people have access to that. So thank you again so much. It really has been an honor to have you here and to have you just sharing your insights and wisdom. I so appreciate your time and your energy and you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.